Father, we, uh, we do thank you, God, for uh, just being able to gather together. And Lord, I pray that as we, as we continue in this study here in, in the book of 2 Thessalonians, I pray that, God, you would reach our hearts as Paul pours out his heart to that group of people and God actually representing your heart, I pray that we would understand this is how you feel about us and this is how you care for us and Lord, that, we, that in the midst of our different circumstances in life, no matter what's going on, that we would know, God, that you are concerned about our lives, you care about our lives and greater than that, God, that you're gonna walk through any circumstance with us so bless this time, God, open up our, our ears to hear, but more importantly, again, our hearts to receive, and we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, as we've been studying now in 2 Thessalonians, remember in chapter one, Paul explained about the persecution they were going through, and these guys were going through some intense persecution, and Kind of a mind blower for this church. This church was born in persecution. If you remember, Paul went there, shared. They came after him. He had to escape at night to get out of there because the gospel was so resisted in Thessalonica. And listen, now, now he's kind of wrote to them and it seems like it amped up between even 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. And so the persecution's heavy according to chapter one. Chapter two, Paul deviates a little bit and starts talking about the coming of the Antichrist. Remember, they were mixed up and wondering what was going on. We looked at that, and then he talked about this evil one coming and how that's gonna affect the world and those who follow him. Now, listen, now we get a major shift, a major contrast, and Paul's gonna talk about believers and what a relationship with the Lord really looks like for believers. Unbelievers are gonna face judgment, Believers are gonna face glory. And there's a huge contrast. Look at the first word of, of verse 13. It says, but, right? So that means there's a contrast. That means I've said all of this about them, but, and now he's gonna talk about believers and what's going on. John MacArthur, I love in the introduction of this uh, passage, here's what John MacArthur says about the contrast. He says, in contrast to the unredeemed who refuse to love and obey the truth, are those who willingly love and obey the truth. In contrast to those whom God judges are those he redeems. In contrast to those who believe Satan's lies are those who believe God's truth. In contrast to those who follow the Antichrist are those who follow the Christ. So that's what this section is. And you know, there's a section, this section of scripture has so much about our salvation. And what does that mean? What is our salvation all about? And I love it. Listen, Paul like lays it out for these guys. And I don't know about you, but I read this section and I just get excited about knowing Jesus and about having a relationship with him and the fact that he loves me. So Paul, listen, Paul writes here and he says, but we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, loved or beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of the Lord Jesus, the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now there's a lot in that, right? I mean, listen to what Paul's saying. First of all, it's kind of interesting. In chapter one, verse three, he talks about giving thanks, and here he's still giving thanks. 
I gather that Paul, and I've said it many times, I think Paul really loved this church. And he's thankful for what God is doing in their lives. And, and we've talked about on Thursday nights too in our study of Colossians that we need to be thankful people. We need to understand how truly blessed we are because of this relationship we have with Jesus Christ. But then, here's what I love. He says, he says I always thank God, or I thank God always for you. And here's what I love. Brethren loved by God. Isn't it good just to rest in that? I'm loved by God. I know I shouldn't do this, but that would be a really good tattoo. And wouldn't that be really good just to have someplace I'm loved by God? And people would say, here's the thing, do it in Greek, and people will ask you what it says, and then you can witness to them. A great witnessing tool. So my wife won't let me get tattoos, so I'm living vicariously through everybody else who's getting them. Loved by God. Isn't that enough just to rest and just to think, I'm someone loved by God. And Paul, listen, Paul's letting these guys know. And again, the contrast of those who don't love God and those who are pushing against him and earlier in the chapter and now, he says those loved by God. And then, and then Paul makes a statement that I think is beautiful. Some people get all uptight with this next part. He says you're, you're loved by God because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Some people get upset that they think God chooses people. I'm blessed by that. And I don't think it, listen, I think if you get upset, there's something going on in your heart that isn't quite right. And maybe, listen, maybe you have a misconception of what that means. Just because God chooses some doesn't mean, listen, doesn't mean anybody's excluded. The Bible says, whosoever will come. And so we gotta be careful when we do that, but I love resting in the fact that God chose me. Have you ever, have you ever auditioned for something and not got picked? You ever tried out for a sports team and not made it? You ever ran for an office and not got elected? I mean, when you think of all those things, maybe, even maybe, you were abandoned by a parent. And you know what that means. Maybe, maybe you've had a spouse desert you and you know what that means. And so that should bring this more to life and you have that understanding, he chose me. And I love the idea, listen, and, and I love the idea, whenever it comes up in scripture, have you ever noticed there's not a long explanation? Like, we want it, right? We want to argue it. We want to debate it. We want to get all theological about it and do those things. But every time it's brought up in Scripture, here's how it's brought up. This is a matter of fact. And he says here, he says, he says here's what I think is amazing, at least in my mind. He says, because God from the beginning chose you. In Ephesians and Romans, he says, especially in Ephesians, he said, we were chosen before the world was ever created and before we ever existed. Now, here's what I think. If God would have waited for me to be born, he might not have chose me, right? He might have gone, oh, I don't know. But man, from the beginning, that should, listen, no matter what you're going through in life, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you understand this, that should get you through anything that comes your way, anything that tends to like distract you and, and I love just thinking about that in my own life. I, I, you know, I've been chosen for a couple things. I got, I, I kind of think my wife chose me. Kind of makes me feel good. 
We just celebrated 51 years, and so that was good, yeah. And so I kind of liked that idea, and then the United States government chose me. <laughs> I got a letter saying your government wants you, and that's kind of that's special, not. <laughs> and then God chose me. How good is that? And listen, if you have a problem, some people say, I don't like that because what if I'm not chosen? And I love it when people ask me that, and here's what I tell them. We're gonna go in a big circle here. Here's what I tell them. Well, then choose God, and you'll find out you're chosen. Well, I don't wanna choose him. Well, then you're not chosen. Well, but I wanna be chosen. Well, then choose him. <laughs> right, you get it? Listen, don't, don't go in this bad, bad place we're chosen, and I love this. He says we're chosen, but listen, we're chosen from the beginning. God chose you for salvation. Listen, through sanctification by the Spirit. The Spirit is the one who opens our eyes, the one who brings us in, the one who sets us apart, and he works in us, and what a glorious truth that is. And the Spirit comes and works in us, and then he says, listen, it's not just by the sanctification of the Spirit. Now, here's the, here's the interesting part. Here's what he says, and belief in the truth. You see, I do have a responsibility. I don't like people who teach that we have no responsibility and no action. Listen, the Bible teaches there's man's responsibility, and the Bible teaches there's God's sovereignty. And if you start messing with either one of those, when people try and explain it, and some people say, I got it all figured out, and I think, no, you don't, because you can't figure it out. It doesn't make sense. It's not, it's not logical, and you can't, like, work it out. But both of those truths are very strong, and you can't weaken one to build up the other because then you destroy the gospel and you destroy what's going on. We have to believe. Listen, I believe that God chose me before the foundations of the world, but I have to believe that. I have to come to the place, place where I put my faith and the spirit comes and works in me and does that and then, listen, and then what am I believing in? He says, you believe in the truth to which he called you by our gospel. Listen, you and I have a responsibility to get the gospel out. That's the only way people are going to get saved. People don't just sit around and get saved. We have a responsibility for this generation, every one of us that are alive right now. We're responsible, and we're responsible to get the gospel out. That's how, I, I kind of like it this way. You want to find out who's chosen? Share the gospel, and you're going to find out. Charles Spurgeon, one of, the, one of the great old dead guys, right, from England. And Charles Spurgeon, he was, he was a character. I think he was the original Calvary Chapel. Charles Spurgeon said this, he said, how can you, you know, how can you really believe in, in election and, and, you know, this whole idea? And he said, he said, because the Bible teaches it. And they said, well, how do you find out who's elect? He says, you preach the gospel and you share the gospel. And here's what, here's what I love, he goes, if God wrote it on the backs of people, then I would spend the rest of my life lifting up shirt tails to see who's elected. Listen, we have a responsibility. How are we gonna do it? We need to share the gospel with people. That's what saves them. And then, and then here's the good part. He says, listen, again in verse 14, to which he called you by the gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our God, or of our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, listen, he, the gospel was shared, and what is that happens to us? The glory. The glory. 
Listen, when we're first saved, we get justified. We're saved from the penalty of sin. And as we're sanctified, as we walk through it, we slowly are saved from the power of sin. And when we're glorified, hallelujah, we're saved from the presence of sin. Listen, all of those things happen. We need to understand that. And he says this. Now contrast that again, uh, you know, later on this evening. Contrast what he says in verses 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11 to what he just said here. And you go, yes, yes. And then, listen, Paul's not done. He says, therefore, right? So what do we, verse 15? We got to know verse 15 is drawn a conclusion from 13 and 14. And he says, therefore, brethren, Stand fast, hold to the tradition which you were taught, whether by word or epistle. Oh, because this is true. Now get this in your heart, because God redeemed you, because the Spirit sanctifies you, because you believe the truth, therefore, here's what he says, stand fast. Don't let people shake your faith. Don't let people come in and, and, and say things about your God, about the gospel, about Jesus, and shake you. You stand firm, and you stand as a solid rock, man, and the only way you're gonna do that is to know the truth and stand in the truth, and I love the idea that he's calling them. Again, people who are in the midst of intense persecution stand firm. Now, I don't think we're under intense persecution. I know some people think they are. Some people like get all upset when somebody makes fun of them. I can't believe I was sharing the gospel and they said no. Oh, you poor, poor thing. Listen, we're not even in intense persecution and some of us don't stand firm in the gospel. And Paul tells them, you guys stand firm. And this where it might be a little bit misleading. He says, therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold to the traditions which you were taught. When we hear traditions, we kind of think of traditions, right? rather than truth. I think a better translation here would have been teachings, and some of the newer translations have that. Stand fast and hold firm to the teachings which you were taught, whether by word. Remember, for them, it was more like a tradition. Remember, when Paul's writing this letter of 2 Thessalonians, they don't have, first, they don't have the Gospels. They don't have Acts. They don't have... Romans, they don't have any other, listen, these were probably the first two letters written. And so maybe they have first Thessalonians around, but when he says stand fast to the traditions, the teachings which you were taught, whether by word, when I was there teaching you by word, or by our epistle that we've already written, you hold on to that truth. And saints, we've got 66 books that we can hold fast to. We should be immovable. When people, it, it always cracks me up when people try and make fun of the, of the Bible and, and they say certain things. I think, you know, you know, number one, when people do that and they tell me the Bible's not true and the Bible's full of errors and the Bible has contradictions, I always tell them this. Obviously, you've never read the Bible. And you don't know what you're talking about. So let's sit down and have a discussion. I remember a few years ago, somebody came to the church and it was on a Saturday night and, and they're getting ready to leave and they challenged me. They said, you know, the Bible's full of errors. And I said, okay. I said, fine, name one. That's what I got, silence. I go, just one. You said it's full of them. Just give me one. 
I said, you can't come up with one? You get in this conversation? And I said, well, you can't even come up with one. Why would you make that statement? Well, somebody, I said, yeah, somebody told you that. And I said, why don't you read the Bible? Why don't you pick it up and read it? Now, I've been studying, listen, I haven't just been reading the Bible. I've been studying the Bible for 30 years. And I've yet to find an error. I've yet to find a mistake. I've yet to find a contradiction. And I share that with people. I, I've studied it, and I haven't found those things. Why would you make that statement so flippantly? So you and I, we have this truth. He says, listen, stand on this and don't be shaken. And he says, so listen, as we do that now, verse 16, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Again, there's a lot. Listen, as Paul is, is pouring out his heart to these people, man, he un, un, unpacks a lot of stuff. And here's what he's saying, man. He wants Jesus and God the Father to so work in them that their hearts are established. Listen, and when he's talking hard, he's not talking about this pumper thing, boom, 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 boom. He's talking about our, our, our seat of our emotions and our seat of our being of all who we are. We need to be people that, man, we're gonna be immovable. And listen, man, as he says this, here's what blows my mind. As he says, he says the Lord Jesus Christ or, or uh, Lord Jesus Christ himself and God the Father who has loved us. Now, when he, he has two people, right? He's talking about Jesus and the Father, but then when he says, has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and may he comfort our hearts, all those verbs are speaking of the Father and Jesus, but the verbs are singular. You get my point? They're not plural because they should be plural if he's talking about two people, but he's talking about one God. And may God, listen, bottom line, may God, and, and I love this, who better can console us in the time of hurt and pain than Jesus Christ, than God the Father? Who better knows how to give us that consolation that we need? Who better knows how to give us the hope that we need to get through situations and circumstances? God is not gonna take us out of circumstances. I think most of us have figured that out by now. If you've walked with him for any time at all, you know, it always bothers me when, when people will share and say, you know, God has a wonderful plan for your life. That sounds beautiful, doesn't it? I, although I do believe he has a wonderful plan, I just think his definition of wonderful and mine are two different things. He's gonna work in such a way that it's going to bring glory and honor and it's gonna work in my life for my benefit, but it doesn't always feel like it. We're gonna walk through trials. We're gonna walk through tribulation. We're gonna walk through circumstances that we, sitting here today, we're not even imagining are gonna come our way. But they're gonna come. And who better to walk through them with than the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father? He's gonna come. He's gonna bring that hope and that consolation. And, and then I love it. May he comfort our hearts I appreciate it when people reach out. Hey, when something happens and people reach out to myself or our family and, and stuff, that's good. 
But man, nobody comforts like my God comforts. He brings, that, he brings that comfort that only he can bring. And he comforts our hearts and he establishes us and, and makes us solid. And, and, and listen, this is what Paul is saying. And then he says, may all of that happen in every good word and work. We have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to be people who we're sharing the word, but we're also living the life that will draw others to that relationship with him. We should live in such a way that it's drawing them. So Paul lays all this out. Again, these guys are going through a lot of stuff. Paul lays all that out. Now in chapter three and verse one, he kind of changes directions. And, and, and listen, he says, finally, by the way, when he says finally here, he's not saying finally like he's closing. I know some people get uptight. You know, pastors, they're like in closing 14 times. So listen, Paul's not saying finally like he's done. He's saying because of all of this, right? Because of 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, because of that, in light of that, he's saying, brethren, pray for us. Is that amazing? Does it kind of blow your mind that Paul, in boldness, is saying, hey, guys, pray for us. I love that idea for, for just for a challenge. And don't use Google. And don't use electronics. For a challenge, read Paul's letters and write down every time he asks for prayer. And see how many times he does it. Now, I know you could do it really quick with your phone. But read and find out. Those are fun exercises because it gets you reading the letters from a whole different perspective. And you're reading and you're looking for that. Paul was never, never bashful about asking for prayer. I think that's a good thing. Pastors need prayer. Church leaders need prayer. And we should be praying for them, right? And Paul's saying, listen, pray for us. I love it. But listen, he doesn't say pray for us that, you know, that will be great success and we'll do things. Listen to what he says. He says, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified. Here's what he's saying, man. Pray that God would use us in the place that he's called us. You guys remember where Paul's writing this from? If you've been here for a while, I can get a bunch of blank looks like right now. Do you remember where he's at? He's in Corinth. Corinth was like Sin City. Now think about what he's saying here. Think about it. He's sitting in Corinth writing this letter to these guys, trying to encourage them. And here's what he says. Pray for us that the word may be accepted here. Pray that the word would take hold here. Because he's sharing, listen, Paul's not just sitting in some house writing a letter. He's involved in ministry. He's involved in reaching out to the people of Corinth. And he says, pray, listen, that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it was or just as it is with you. Just like it works in you guys. Paul got to see that in Thessalonica. Oh, he's going to see it in Corinth. But he's, right now he's saying, pray, pray that God would do that. If you want to pray for me, Pray that God would give me wisdom as I teach word. Pray that God would, would give me boldness as I share the word. That's what I want. You know, I want to be that person that's a vessel for God to use for his glory. And Paul lays that out, and then, and then listen, then he kind of he throws this in, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. Oh. <laughs> Read what happens in Corinth. And you'll know why Paul prayed that, right? He's going, man, there's some people that are difficult. Unreasonable people. Now, there's none in this service. 
But being a pastor, you run into unreasonable people, and it's hard. It's difficult. And some people are just, you know, you're just stubborn. And Paul says, pray, listen, pray that we'll be delivered from those. And then he says, from evil, from evil men. You know, as a pastor, I have a responsibility to feed the sheep, but I also have a responsibility to protect. And evil people have come into our ministry. And evil people want to destroy and disrupt what's happening. And we have a responsibility as leaders. Number one, we want to be delivered from them, but we also want to deliver them, if you know what I mean. And we got to get them out of here. Listen, Paul says, pray, pray that God would be involved in the ministry that we're involved in here in Corinth as we're reaching out to you. Now, listen, he's asking for prayer. And here's what sort of blows my mind. He asks for prayer and then just kind of prays for them. Verse four, but, here's the contrast, pray for us, but the Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, I want you to pray for us, but here's what I know. God is faithful to work in you guys. Now he's back with them, right? He's done asking for him, and God is faithful to establish you and deliver you from the evil one. Why would he include that? Go back and read chapter one again. They're struggling. And these guys, I think these guys didn't know if they were gonna make it, you know, another week. Not just make it as a fellowship, make it period. And Paul says, man, he says, you need to know God is gonna establish you and deliver you from the evil one. And, verse four, and we have confidence in the Lord concerning you. Let me ask you something. Do you have confidence in the Lord to work in our generation? Do you have confidence that the Lord is gonna work in our world, our country, our state, our city? You have confidence that he's gonna change lives. You see, this is what we need. And here's what Paul's saying. I am confident that God is going to work in Thessalonica. I know that he's gonna do that. And we need to have that kind of, listen, we need to have that kind of belief in God and what he's doing and confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do the things we commanded you. Here's what he's saying. I have confidence in the church, and I have confidence in our church. I have confidence that God is going to uh, give you the ability to do now and in the future to continue to do what he has called you to do. I have confidence that the Lord's gonna do that. And I, we need to ask one another, man, do we really feel that God is working in such a way that we're gonna be used in our community, that we're gonna be used in this world that God is going to change the world through us? Saints, I think sometimes we give up and we kind of lay down. It's a lot easier to be grumpy in this world and walk around just with a, a, you know, a scowl on our face and angry and mad. It's a lot easier to do that than to reach out to people. When was the last time you walked up to somebody and just said this? Jesus loves you. Hmm. When was the last time you walked up to somebody that's on the other side of everything you believe and said, Jesus loves you? 
instead of shaking your finger at them, instead of telling them what's wrong with them, why don't you tell them that God loves them? And Paul's saying, listen, man, I know, I know God is gonna do this. And I believe, listen, I believe with all my heart, God is going to do something great through our fellowship. I think we're gonna be able to reach this community in ways that we can't even imagine. But it's gonna be all of us. It's not gonna be one of us. It's gonna be all of us. And Paul says, I have that confidence. And he says, to do that. And then, now may the Lord, verse five, now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. Woo! Yeah, see, here's what Paul's doing. He's pushing the people into that more intimate, close relationship with the Lord. And he's saying, man, I want, I want the Lord to direct your heart, and that's my prayer for us. I want him to direct our hearts into the love of God, that we would understand the love of God. Do you know right now, if you're born again today, do you know that God loves you as much as he's ever gonna love you? That you don't have to earn love from him? You don't have to try and get it? Listen, I know we're in a culture where, where we, that goes against how we're, we're, we're bred and raised and, and how the world comes at us. But right now, right now, God loves you as much as he's ever gonna love you. You need to rest in that and you need to understand that. And my prayer, my prayer is that we would be people who were directed towards that and we have a heart because here's what I know. Once you rest in that, you're gonna quit trying to earn something from God and you're gonna allow God to direct you and use you because you're not trying to earn something from him. You already know he loves you. And you're gonna get involved in something and, and you're gonna get involved in something incredible. And then he says, listen, and then he says, and this might be hard for some of us, and into the patience of Christ. Now listen, he's not talking about patience like when we talk about we're not patient. Because I'm not. But he's not talking, listen, the patience, it's not like Jesus had tremendous patience. He's talking about we are able to be long-suffering with people. In other words, we're able to look beyond all of the faults, all of the flaws, all of the garbage, and get at the heart of the issue. Do you know what the heart of the issue is? Do you know what's wrong with America? I can tell you real simple. Sin. The issue is the heart. And you and I are the only ones who have the ability to change hearts. Now having said that, we can share the gospel, we can't change hearts, but we have the tool that God can use, or maybe I should say it this way, we are the tool that God could use to change hearts. And here's the crazy thing, man. When God does something, here's what some people, God will work through us and we'll go, woo, I am awesome. No, you're not. God is awesome. One old dead guy, you guys know I like to read the old dead guys. <laughs> One old dead guy said it best. Here's what he said. If you can explain what God is doing through you, then God is not doing it. I like that. You see, because some of us think that it's all about us. And here's what you need to know. Getting the gospel out and changing hearts is not about being very articulate. It's not about having a high IQ. It's not even maybe even being a good speaker. It's about being available for God to flow through. Being that vessel that he can flow through. That's what it's all about. Hey, people have told me in the past, 
Some, some people have told me, like, I'm not really good at altar calls. And, you know, they're not being mean. These are people who are close to me. They go, you're not very good. And they go, and yet people get saved. <laughs> Amen. Because, see, it's a work of the Lord. And here's what Paul's, in the end of this, here's what Paul's saying. I want your heart and your soul and your work devoted to God. Don't be like those people in, thir- in, in 1 through 12. Be like the people in 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, and then 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. Be those people and understand who you are. And that's the heart of Paul for the church at Thessalonica, and that's the heart of God for the church on Wilcox Drive. His heart for us is the same. It hasn't changed. Listen, just because Paul wrote this 2,000 years ago doesn't mean that it's for them. What we read this morning is for us. So let's believe it and let's walk it and let's flesh it out. Let's stand up and pray. Father, I thank you today I thank you for your word. I thank you for the challenge that we have. And some, some of it's just a challenge to believe and trust you. And God, I, I thank you that you push us to that place. And Lord, I do pray that we would be people who we have an understanding of who we are in Christ. And that we would know that our God loves us that our God has this heart for us to be the men and women that he sees us as. So I pray that we would yield to you. I pray that we would be men and women who draw close to our God and allow you to flow through us. And I'm gonna ask you to stay in an attitude of prayer for a couple more moments And if you are here today and you've never asked Jesus to forgive your sins, you've never asked him to come and take control of your life, man, today is the day to do that. You're not here by mistake. Maybe somebody even invited you and and, and you came and, and right now, even as I'm speaking, your hands or your palms are a little sweaty and you're a little bit nervous. That's because that's because this is for you. Maybe you just decided to drop in in the church and God is reaching your heart. Today is a day of salvation. Right now, you can call on his name. That's what the Bible says. Whoever calls on his name will be saved. So if you wanna do that, here's the thing. You've gotta be honest with God and and you gotta come clean. And here's the thing. You have to come to the place where you recognize sin and that you recognize that you've sinned against God I don't think that's really hard I think all of us maybe believe that but we kind of don't want to admit it but you got to be clean with God you got to tell God you know that you've sinned against him and you've got to be sorry for your sin and you need to understand that your sin has separated you from God the Bible calls that the wages of sin is death separation from God not just physical death but there's a spiritual death 
That's the bad news. The good news is Jesus Christ went to the cross, paid that penalty that you owed, paid the debt you owed, and now, listen, now all you have to do is accept his payment. And the way to do that is through prayer. So I'm gonna lead you in a prayer and you can say this prayer with me out loud or you can say it silently. Volume doesn't matter. What matters is your heart. You need to be real and honest before God. Say this prayer. If you're backslidden, you can say this prayer. I always like to say this. If you're backslidden, it's time to front slide and come back, come home, come back to Jesus. If you're watching online, you can say the prayer right where you're at. You don't have to be in this facility to say this prayer. Jesus Today I confess that I am a sinner. I'm sorry that I sinned against you, God. And right now I'm asking you to forgive me. Jesus, thank you for dying for my sin. Thank you today for your forgiveness. And now I want you to come into my heart and change me. Jesus, come into my life and guide me. Today, I'm asking you to be my Lord and my Savior.